This episode is sponsored by independent Swiss luxury watchmaker Ulysse Nardon. Ulysse Nardon has continuously reset the boundaries of watch engineering and design thanks to its long-established technical excellence and its unconventional approach to watchmaking. To find out more, visit ulysse-nardon.com. That's U-L-Y-S-S-E-N-A-R-D-I-N.com. Ulysse Nardon. You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. Aside from the number of billion-dollar Italian brands, Italian manufacturing is a pillar of the luxury industry supply chain. According to McKinsey & Company, Italy contributes more than 40% of luxury goods production, If you own leather goods by some of the top luxury brands, there is a good chance that it was developed and produced in Florence, Italy-based Tivoli Group. Tivoli Group was founded in 1981 as the production arm of a small leather goods distribution chain in Rome. Over the years, the company grew and put down roots in Florence's leather district, where it made a name for itself as a leading manufacturer of leather goods for various international fashion and luxury brands, for which it develops designs and manufactures small leather goods, bags, belts, and home and office items. My guest on the luxury item is Stefano Giacomelli, the CEO of Tivoli Group. Stefano has been with Tivoli Group for about eight years as CEO, in charge of the strategic, general, and operational management of the company, as well as of the subsidiaries. In addition to his role at Tivoli, Stefano is chairman of Smythson of Bond Street, the iconic British brand of luxury stationery and leather goods. Welcome to the luxury item, Stefano. Thank you, Scott. Excited to be here. So, you know, I wanted to get started by talking a little bit about the origin of Tivoli Group, uh, which has been around for about 40 years, I think over 40 years. And today it's one of Italy's biggest manufacturers of leather goods for various international fashion and luxury brands. Can you talk about how the company started and how it found its success? Well, uh, you're right. Uh, We are almost uh, 42 years old, so plenty of uh, experience has been made in those years. Uh, Tivoli was founded in 1981 in Rome, and the name is because it was on Tiburtina Street, that is a street that connects Rome with the ancient town of Tivoli. And at the beginning, it was a a distribution uh, company distributing leather goods. Uh, Then they they decided, I was not there, I joined uh, eight years ago, they decided to start producing uh, the, the goods that they were selling, and then after this shift from distribution to production, uh, the company was uh, moved to Florence. Uh, that is uh, obviously the main leather district in Italy for luxury leather goods. And it started producing for various luxury brands, uh, international brands, uh, and it developed uh, up to where we are today. Like when was the time when it finally became successful? Was something going on in the world, in the in the industry, that there was that tipping point where they just accelerated their success? I think the point when uh, the company had an acceleration in its growth and also in the quality of uh, its performance uh, was uh, after seven, eight years from the date it was funded, when uh, Tivoli started working for a couple of uh, very big uh, brands. During this conversation, I will not tell you the name of the brands we 
we work for. Totally understand. Exceptional made for one because uh, we own that brand. But that made a difference. Uh, working with such brands uh, implied uh, a growth in size, but also the level of service and the expected performance in terms of quality, delivery lead time, service in general uh, increased. And we were able uh, to satisfy our brands and that uh, allowed us to grow with them. Your clients probably have different needs and unique characteristics. What is the Tivoli Group's current business model and how does it adapt to those specific needs? True, uh, our brands uh, have uh, very peculiar needs in terms of uh, product categories that they uh, need to develop and produce, materials, uh, uh, level of service uh, in general. I would say that uh, we are our model in general is... Uh, uh, that we are able to cover the whole uh, leather goods process from uh, creative development uh, up to the shipment of the leather goods. So we can do raw material research, product development, technical development, sampling, and then sourcing of raw materials, manufacturing, quality control, finishing. Not all the brands uh, need uh, to have all those services. In some cases, uh, bigger brands uh, have their internal uh, product development team. So they do raw material research, accessories research, uh, the initial development, but uh, rely on us for technical development, uh, meaning pattern making, uh, sampling, uh, prototyping. In some other cases, we work with brands that uh, don't have and don't want to have an internal organization dedicated to leather goods uh, in terms of product development, those brands usually are brands that are strong and ready to wear or shoes or jewelry. And they don't want to invest in an organization dedicated to leather goods, but they want to develop a leather goods collection. In that case, we also can support them right after the, their initial creative phase, starting from sketches, starting from a target price. We do research of raw material. We do research of accessories. We propose them the shapes and technical solutions that allow those shapes to be produced. And then again, we are their partner for production. So I know you can't share the names of the big luxury brands that you work with outside of the ones yeah. that, you, that you own. How many leather bags do you turn out a year? We are, uh, as you were saying in the introduction, we are uh, a big company, uh, one of the biggest uh, independent uh, leather goods manufacturers in Italy. And when I say independent, uh, is uh, by comparison with those uh, manufacturers that are owned by the brands that are part uh, of their organization. Mm -hmm. We produce today, our capacity is uh, in the range of uh, six 700,000 pieces per year, including mm. both the large leather goods and small leather goods, and also home and office items. We work for 10 brands today of different sizes uh, and with different uh, characteristics. It's a, a, mix of, a mix of a classic luxury, the, the big brands that you find uh, uh, in, in Madison uh, or uh, in the main fashion street uh, in the world, but also some emerging brands, uh, more contemporary. Uh, both of them uh, have uh, specific requirements and we try to adapt our model uh, 
to the requirements to in the way that uh, they can be satisfied. So how does Tivoli Group position itself to a potential partner? So what's you know what's the unique selling point of the group that makes it appealing to a luxury brand that perhaps doesn't have leather goods in their current offerings but wants to expand into those products? Well, I think that uh, the key proposition is that uh, we allow a brand that uh, doesn't uh, have uh, an organization to develop and to manufacture leather goods to have a ready-to-use platform that is Tivoli, where they can be part of a large organization and they can benefit of this organization of up-to-date processes of a high level of quality without having to invest themselves in building an internal organization. And it's not just a matter of cost, fixed cost, or complexity of building this organization, but it's also a matter of risk because right. you share you share the risk. You don't have to do yourself, but you can rely on a partner that has this specific expertise. Obviously, we... Uh, invest and uh, we have uh, very strong expertise uh, from a craftsmanship standpoint because uh, leather goods uh, you don't make them uh, with uh, automated machines on top of that uh, uh, we try to balance uh, the craftsmanship uh, with uh, the organization and the processes of uh, a structured industry that means uh, we try to flank uh, the craft skills uh, with the best uh, of uh, an industrial approach uh, in terms of uh, management uh, and in terms uh, of processes, in terms of systems, uh, information systems to manage the production. So it's not just being good at manufacturing leather goods, but also having an organization that is managing in an efficient way and uh, in a well-structured way. One thing Tivoli Group stresses on its website, this whole idea of the promise of beyond craftsmanship. So what does beyond craftsmanship mean to you? As I was saying before, craftsmanship is a precondition to make luxury. You cannot produce leather goods, high quality leather goods with machine in an automated way. You need people with their hands, their skills, cutting, sewing, stitching, doing the manual processes that are behind a bag or a wallet. Right. Craftsmanship today is not enough. And beyond craftsmanship means a harmony and a synergy between craftsmanship and industrial processes. And handicraft is enhanced, is augmented by a strong organization, by efficient process management, by a professional investment in sustainability. This allows craftsmanship uh, to produce uh, a consistent quality also on a large scale. You know, I recently read sales increased for exports of Italian-made luxury leathers last year. The U.S. sales rose by 2% in 2022 compared to 2021, and the leading gainers were France, Spain, Portugal, all growing double digits. I imagine the fashion and luxury industry drove most of that growth. Can the leather goods industry sustain that growth? Well, growth in uh, in the fashion industry and especially in the leather goods uh, has been very strong for years. Uh, we see now some uh, signals of uh, a slowdown, 
Yeah. Uh, we have seen the financials uh, for the third quarter of uh, some big brands. Uh, some of them are showing lower, lower growth. Some of them are showing a decline, unfortunately. So actually, the, this myth of uh, continuing growth uh, now is uh, uh, somehow put uh, under discussion. My opinion is that this is uh, a temporary slowdown and that uh, the luxury goods market will uh, start growing again and that we will have the problem of sustaining that growth. Uh, in terms of uh, the, the figures that you were mentioning, those figures, they refer both to leather goods uh, in terms of finished product and also to leather, that is uh, the raw material. Uh, I think that... Uh, the industry now is strong enough uh, in terms of uh, management skills, in terms of supply chain organization to support a further growth uh, of uh, the demand as soon as it will start growing strongly again. And Tivoli Group is forecasting consolidated revenues of 55 million euros in 2023, a little higher than last year's figure of 51 million euros. Do you feel you'll still hit that 55 million? And what are the factors that are leading to that growth? Yeah, we definitely think that uh, we will confirm the 55 million. It's 10% growth versus last year that uh, in this uh, peculiar situation is uh, for us an excellent uh, result. It's mostly driven by stable relationship and consistent relationship with our historical customers, say, and uh, the growth uh, in the revenues uh, that uh, we are making uh, with uh, newly introduced customers. And when I say newly, I mean in the last two, three years. Uh, in fact, uh, during the pandemic, uh, right before and then during the pandemic, uh, we started uh, investing uh, in uh, an expansion and the differentiation of our customer portfolio. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, working uh, well. Actually, last year, we were doing 3 million uh, with those new customers. And this year, we will do more than five. So it's uh, a confirmation that uh, there is an opportunity for leather goods. Uh, and uh, beyond uh, the usual big names, uh, there is a market that is very interesting and stimulating. I just want to touch on something you were talking about before about the where you know the softening of the luxury market the boom times for high luxury it seems is coming to an end you know recent slower than expected third quarter sales at LVMH however there's bright spots with LVMH's fashion and leather goods division which grew like 9% either way there are clear signs of continuing moderation as consumers sober up after the post pandemic euphoria how are you seeing the impact of this playing out in the leather goods industry and more specifically your company? You're right. After a very strong 22 uh, that shows some kind of rebound after the COVID period and that gave the impression that we were just starting again, growing as usual, as before. Right. Now, 2023 is now proving more challenging especially in the second half of this year, where the slowdown uh, is uh, stronger. There are reasons that are in front of us, uh, obviously, on one side, the, the economic and the geopolitical scene uh, is impacting. 
inflation and high interest rates, uh, key countries uh, in stagnation, wars and conflicts uh, that are uh, on the top uh, of the ranking of the news, and the luxury market, uh, even if uh, it uh, is destined, the products are destined to richer period people, more affluent people cannot uh, be immune uh, from uh, from this situation. Mm-hmm. As I was saying, I think that uh, the luxury market uh, and the luxury brands are strong enough uh, to restart growing. Now, the, the demand, uh, the, the, the reduced uh, demand uh, that the brands uh, have, uh, the lower sales that they are making, uh, is obviously reflecting uh, in a reduction of the orders that the brands place uh, to their suppliers, uh, not only for leather goods but uh, for all uh, uh, for all uh, the product categories. Also, having uh, internal production, the brands are, uh, as it is normal, protecting uh, their internal capacity and. Uh, a minus 10% in their sales would probably reflect in a minus minus 20% in their orders to external manufacturers while keeping their internal supply chain working at full full speed and full capacity. So this is having in the supply chain in the Florence district that we that is something that we live every day a significant impact that I still think is Temporary. After this, will we see a different uh, consumption model? Will the consumers uh, change the way of buying? Uh, we see some brands, uh, I'm not mentioning them, but we see some brands uh, that uh, after changes in their creative direction are probably taking uh, a less extreme uh, uh, path, uh, are uh, trying to go in a more uh, reassuring direction. We speak a lot about quite luxury. Right. Probably th- this is something that uh, the contingent situation, the negative contingent situation, we reinforce further. For Tivoli, as I was saying, we have been good. We may have been also lucky in having a good relation with our historic customers and developing some new ones. So this is allowing us to have some growth, but certainly we are looking to 2024 uh, with a very close eye. We'll be right back after a quick break with more of my conversation with Stefano Giacomelli. A pioneer in innovative technologies and the use of high-tech materials such as silicium, Ulysse Nardin is one of the few integrated watch manufacturers with the expertise to produce its own high-precision components and movements. In 2001, the brand changed the face of watchmaking by launching the Freak. Freak led a counter-revolution to traditional watchmaking and reshaped the art of horology. Today, Ulysse Nardin remains devoted to its quest for watchmaking perfection through four collections, Freak, Blast, Diver, and Marine. We're back with more from Stefano Giacomelli. The fashion industry is undergoing a remarkable transformation with the rapid rise of artificial intelligence. You know, AI technology has brought unprecedented advancements, enabling hyper-personalization, streamlined processes, and enhanced efficiency. However, this relentless pursuit of perfection through AI comes with its own set of perils, particularly 
concerning the loss of human touch and craftsmanship, the very essence that has long distinguished luxury fashion. AI offers opportunities for luxury fashion brands to enhance their creative process rather than replace it entirely. How do you strike a balance between human creativity and AI collaboration? As I was saying before, uh, craftsmanship cannot be replaced by machine and also creativity will not be replaced by artificial intelligence or technology in general. But uh, at the same time, uh, technology and artificial intelligence uh, can support, uh, can enhance uh, creativity. So I think that this could be a positive uh, uh, interaction, a positive collaboration between uh, human intelligence and human creativity and the help of technology and uh, the added value of uh, artificial intelligence uh, or uh, as it is the key trend that we are seeing today and probably we haven't seen the full pot for sure we haven't yeah. seen the full potential of it this uh, i was making a few days ago a, a, a parallel with something that happened uh, on a much uh, a smaller scale uh, compared to artificial intelligence that happened uh, when the first CAD systems were introduced in the fashion industry. And everyone was saying that uh, the, the skills uh, and uh, uh, the, the expertise uh, of the senior pattern makers, uh, artisans that were creating pattern with paper, knives, and manual tools uh, would be replaced by software engineers uh, and uh, software expert, uh, information systems, technicians. Uh, and actually at the beginning, those systems were so complex that uh, really IT skills uh, and software skills were needed to use them. But as the CAD system became much simpler and became very user-friendly as they are today, more and more the artisans, uh, the expert pattern makers started learning those technologies and started to use uh, those systems and replaced the paper and knives uh, and started making patterns in a much more efficient way. And instead of wasting time in manual work, all their attention was dedicated to the conceptual and to the creative side uh, of their work. So I think uh, it's not like banks where ATM have replaced uh, people uh, and cashiers. Uh, I think here there can be a very positive combination between the new technology and the craftsmanship that is uh, owned by skilled people. So I want to rewind a little bit. You know, Italy's fashion sector accounts for about 40% of global luxury manufacturing and employs almost half a million people. And when Italy became the epicenter of the pandemic in early 2020, the luxury apparel industry was dealt a harsh blow. Factories and workshops were forced to close and brands were left with shortages of material, orders and staff. How did it impact Florence-based Tivoli Group, and how did you adapt your business model to survive during the pandemic? Yeah, it was a, a, a very difficult and, I mean, such a sad period. Uh, from both uh, a business standpoint, uh, but even more from uh, a human uh, standpoint, uh, and actually the first priority for us uh, was to keep our team, our employees safe, that meant, uh, first of all, adapting to a different way of working. Obviously, manufacturing cannot be made uh, via Zoom. 
And so right. in, in our factory, it was mostly a matter of uh, social distancing, uh, respecting HNS protocols. Uh, we were offering to our employees a free COVID test uh, every month uh, as a an opportunity for them, but also as a screening to protect uh, their colleagues. So a lot of investment, a lot of time was dedicated, first of all, to protect uh, the people. In terms of uh, business, uh, we had uh, a reduction in uh, orders. It was not, uh, in our case, fortunately, so big uh, to, to require strong uh, actions. And so we were able on one side uh, to protect our PNL through some cost reductions, obviously. We were very resilient, I would say, but we kept uh, all our people uh, in uh, the company. And at the end uh, of the pandemic, when we restarted, uh, we had uh, the same number of employees because, and, and this was uh, a deliberate strategy because we wanted to be ready when uh, the situation would become uh, normal, say, mm -hmm. we wanted to be ready to restart uh, at full speed and to have our organization uh, perfectly prepared uh, to manage the orders and volumes and production again. All companies are facing a labor shortage and struggle to recruit young workers these days, leather workers, fashion designers, jewelry polishers to continue to meet customer demand. The sector needs expert hands. Luxury houses like LVMH and others have been creating their own vocational training programs. Is finding craftspeople a challenge for the Tivoli Group? It is, uh, as it is uh, for all the companies operating uh, in the leather goods district in Florence and in the other leather goods district in Italy. There is a shortage of workforce uh, that is probably the the first challenge that our businesses today have to face. Just to give you a few numbers, uh, Asso Pelletieri, that is the Association of Leather Goods Manufacturers, uh, has commissioned a study to Ambrosetti, that is a leading uh, right. uh, consulting firm and think tank in Italy. And this study has concluded that uh, in the next five years, uh, the leather goods industry will need to attract uh, approximately 20,000 people Wow, Most, mostly young people, probably, both to replace uh, the workers uh, that are going to retire, but also to increase uh, the workforce uh, and to support the growth uh, of the demand. Uh, as you say, big brands uh, are uh, have the capacity to create their internal schools. This is not feasible for smaller brands uh, or for uh, manufacturers uh, like we are. Uh, we are managing this mostly through collaboration with uh, local schools. Uh, we have uh, regularly training programs uh, that uh, we we design uh, together with those schools based on our specific uh, requirements. And we introduce uh, those people, and usually it is five to six people uh, In every time we have... Uh, a course dedicated for us. We introduce them in the team and after the initial training, they start working in collaboration with the senior people, with the skilled artisans. So they had the opportunity to learn on the job, uh, the skills that they need 
to develop in order to become perfect artisans and to have an opportunity in our industry. At national level, again, Asso Pelletieri has embarked in a program of opening of new schools in the main letter district in Italy. The first one will be here in Florence. We need not just to open schools, we need also to make a big work to create culture, to spread knowledge on what craftsmanship is. Young generation need to have the opportunity to see how a career in the leather goods industry is of great satisfaction that uh, craftsmanship uh, is great uh, to be uh, the basis uh, of uh, your work and to your life, but also that modern manufacturing is not just craftsmanship, but you have the opportunity to work with system, to learn uh, what uh, chemical management uh, is, uh, to work uh, with uh, suppliers and uh, have the opportunity to learn something more that, than your, uh, let's say, uh, normal job uh, would allow you to do. Uh, this is something that we need to explain more uh, in order to give uh, the proper visibility to a work that in some cases uh, is not uh, properly understood. Uh, you may think of uh, artisan in small places in, with uh, uh, manual, but poor work. This is not the case. It's a rich environment of opportunity that uh, young people can have uh, joining our industry. Tivoli Group acquired 135-year-old British luxury leather goods specialist Smithson in 2009. It has long been the go-to stationer for well-heeled Brits and international clients and has held numerous royal warrants over the past decades. What was the state of Smithson's business at the time and where did you see the business opportunity? Well, when I joined, we had already uh, bought Smithson. It was uh, 2009, as you say. I have joined uh, uh, in 2015, and I have been gradually more and more involved in the management of Smithson over the years, and unfortunately, also during the pandemic, that uh, hit very strong. Uh, also Smithson as a brand, uh, stores were closed, people was not traveling, uh, we know. It's uh, one of the uh, most appreciated uh, British heritage brands. Uh, as you were saying, uh, there is a long list uh, of uh, famous people, uh, interesting people that have used, uh, first of all, the Smithson Diaries, the iconic uh, Smithson Diaries. Mm -hmm. uh, since I joined, Smithson has been developing mostly the leather goods category that is produced by Tivoli. So this is the only brand that I can mention as a, a customer of Tivoli, obviously, because it's part of the group. Leather goods has been the priority to develop existing market and the new markets. And e-commerce uh, has been the channel that have received uh, most the the attention uh, in terms of uh, developing, uh, and that is they uh, represented more than fifty percent of the revenues of Smithson. 
Paolo Porta joined uh, in May as uh, CEO of Smithson after a period when I was acting uh, as uh, executive chairman during the pandemic, especially. He has uh, an extensive expertise in luxury and fashion company. He could give a much better insight uh, on the strategy for the coming years. But uh, again, uh, the pillars uh, for this strategy will be maintaining and consolidating the traditional markets that is mostly UK to develop the US market uh, that is today growing at 30% versus last year. So we are having great, we are receiving uh, uh, good results uh, from uh, our investment and uh, to uh, develop Japan uh, as a, a second priority with, uh, let's say, the existing uh, product category portfolio that is obviously the paper business, diaries and books and luxury stationery and leather goods in, uh, let's say, in continuity with what has been done so far. I want to talk about sustainability. Uh, leather has been sustainable fashion's biggest debate. Brands and leather companies say it would be wasteful not to use leather given it is a natural byproduct of the meat industry, and the animal leather is also durable and therefore can fit into the buy less, buy better ethos. But we're seeing more companies looking at alternative materials keen to cater to a growing base of consumers that want to shop for climate, animal, and people-friendly products. How has the shifting market impacted your business? This shift is not, uh, is, is not impacting us uh, uh, because... Uh... Tivoli has uh, a long tradition in working uh, with very different materials. Uh, we work obviously with uh, leather of different kinds. Uh, we work uh, with the fabrics. Uh, we work with uh, plastics materials. Uh, for one brand that we have been producing, we are producing bags that are made with rubber tape that is very different also in terms of uh, manufacturing technology from leather. So we we are uh, able to manage uh, all the different kinds of materials, uh, including new materials that we can define uh, uh, eco-friendly or uh, alternative or materials that are plant-based. Uh, there is a wide variety of new materials, most of them still need to be tested in terms of performance and durability because they are new materials. So th this is not having an impact on us. Uh, I, I would say that differently from uh, uh, a classic uh, leather goods manufacturer working with leather, we are very happy to be able to work with any kind of material. From my perspective, I agree with the statement that says that leather is a sustainable uh, material because it's a byproduct. Uh, it's uh, a waste product, actually, uh, of the food industry. Mm -hmm. Also, if leather is uh, produced and processed uh, with uh, uh, in, in a respectful way in terms of chemical, in terms of avoiding pollution of the environment, it is even more sustainable. And this is something that... Uh, is uh, being more and more uh, a priority for the brands uh, when they choose which leather to buy and from which supplier to buy. So it's not just the performance, the touch and feel, uh, 
the aesthetics, but uh, there is more and more attention on uh, the sustainability of the leather manufacturing process. Then uh, it's, you know, this is also a matter of uh, personal uh, uh, principles uh, or perception of what the reality is. So a lot of people are using, uh, still keep using uh, leather products. Uh, some other, they do prefer to have alternative materials. Uh, it's good that everyone has the opportunity to choose. This is the, uh, this, this is the sense of freedom at the end. So we've been seeing the luxury fashion industry's biggest players and conglomerates who, you know, working in huge volumes, buying up Italian factories to dominate this made in Italy market. Many believe the biggest players have become the priority and it's inherently changing the cultural meaning of the made in Italy system. Is the new face of Made in Italy more about scale and power? Scale and power uh, is uh, a relevant topic uh, for our uh, industry because uh, certain investment, uh, and I was mentioning sustainability, for example, are expensive and you need to invest uh, money that uh, most most probably a small brand or a small company cannot afford. Uh, we have uh, in Tivoli three people that are dedicated to sustainability in the different declinations of environmental sustainability, chemical, social sustainability. It's three people. Not everyone can. Uh, smaller companies cannot afford to have three people, obviously. Right. So I think there are benefits uh, in uh, the scale. Uh, there has been a lot of uh, talking uh, over the years in Italy uh, saying that uh, small is beautiful. Uh, this is part uh, of our uh, industrial history. Uh, Italy has been uh, mostly relying on uh, smaller companies compared to other West countries uh, uh, that have been investing in bigger companies. Uh, Italy has been relying on networks of these smaller companies collaborating each other. And this has been a, a great source of flexibility and creativity. At the same time, being small may be limiting, may prevent you to do the investment that you need to do to remain up to state with the development of the market and of the industry. So in Italy, there are and in our supply chain, there are two main trends. One is, uh, as you were mentioning, uh, big brands uh, that are uh, acquiring players uh, of the Italian supply chain. Maybe they acquire some uh, of their suppliers. And this is uh, very understandable on top of uh, looking for efficiencies and on top of uh, trying to upgrade those suppliers to a higher level, it's also a way to secure a part, at least, of their production capacity. So this is something that has happened, I would say, for in the last 10 years. Probably we are arrived at a point where the big brands are not going to invest much more because all of them probably will, will want to keep internal production in a ratio of 40 to 50% maximum of their uh, production, uh, of their total production. 
but uh, this has changed the shape uh, of the Italian supply chain. What we see now that is a more recent trend is uh, a consolidation of uh, manufacturers into groups, uh, into big players, uh, not owned by a brand, but uh, in, most, in some cases, uh, private equity or big investors are leading this change, uh, aggregating small companies, uh, having in common uh, the, the, some production phases, uh, some product categories, to build uh, bigger uh, entities uh, that can offer wider services, uh, that can be more robust financially, and again, that can make the investments needed today to be in line with the market requirements. Uh, this is something that is going to continue because uh, probably we are at still at the beginning of uh, this process and there are a lot of opportunity to consolidate further the industry. Uh, at the end, uh, this is some kind of uh, confirmation that the idea of going beyond craftsmanship uh, that uh, that is guiding us uh, is probably the right direction. Stefano, my final question is the luxury item question which I ask all my guests. So if you were stranded on a deserted island, and you could only have one single luxury item with you, what would that luxury item be? It can't be any form of air or water transportation to get you off that island or anything that requires mobile service. So you can call somebody to get you off that island. It's just you, lots of sand, lots of palm trees, lots of ocean. What would that one single luxury item you would like to have with you? I have to say, I have a, a house in a very tiny island uh, uh, on the west side of Sicily. It's really tiny. Uh, during the winter, uh, there are only, there are less than 100 inhabitants. Uh, so I, I understand the idea of being on an almost deserted island uh, <laughs> uh, be, because I try to be at least one month during the year in an almost deserted island. But I think that the luxury that uh, you can have uh, in this situation is uh, time. And we know time is really a big luxury, probably the the most expensive uh, one. And uh, on a desert island, I would have plenty uh, of time. Thinking of, thinking about an object, uh, I would probably need uh, to have uh, a diary and a fountain fountain pen, uh, because if you have time, you may want to think and. Uh, Writing down your thoughts is the best way to understand uh, uh, what the conclusions uh, of your thinking can be. I'm assuming that the diary is from Smithson. Well, uh, I, I didn't want to say that. Stefano Giacomelli, Chief Executive Officer of Tivoli Group. Thank you so much for joining me on The Luxury Item. Thank you, Scott. That's it for this episode of the Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.